0: It conspires to help you. Reality supports you when you abide by the principles of it. When you don't abide by the principles of it, it does not support you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. With the rise of alternative facts and fake news We've entered an era characterized by what's called ethical subjectivism. It's the idea of individual rights, which the US was founded on, taken to a dangerous extreme. It's my truth that when you commit to living in reality, it supports you. And this becomes a challenge when there's no generally agreed upon reality. So today we're gonna explore what it might take to pull us out of this dangerous new evolving or devolving paradigm. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open up the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Meditation is the practice of living in reality. It's the practice of accepting things as they are. In in the actual practice of med- meditation, it's a moment to moment commitment to what is real, what's actually happening and distinguishing between What is a thought? What is a feeling? What is a virtual reality that you're creating? What is an emotional reaction to a virtual reality? It's a form of applied concentration that is a commitment to reality. And if done properly, because of course it can be done quite improperly and mostly is, uh, it will deliver someone... Ultimately to a cleaner relationship with money, because in order to make money, you have to not be in reality, right? So like when the landlord says, okay, the rent is 3000 bucks a month, plus I want 20% of your gross profit. That's not actually in reality because the, the space they're providing doesn't have anything to do with their gross profit month to month. That's made up that's made up now you could certainly make an argument that it isn't but i would love for someone to argue that (laughs) i would love to get to argue the other side because now fundamentally we end up at the question well what is real which is what and that's where descartes started with i think therefore i am descartes argument was well the only thing you can really know that is real is your own mental activity which is that's what he said. It's not really the best way of saying it. I would say um, the Zen Buddhist uh, perspective on that is uh, it's more than just the mental activity, it's just your own existence. Because any Zen Buddhist will tell you, well, you don't even know if your thoughts are real. You know that they're, you're having them, but of course they could be illusory as well. But the only thing, according to Zen Buddhism, that you can really know is that you are. And that's why one of the classic. Uh, uh, Nizar Gadada was the teacher who made the practice famous. Just meditating on the the sense of "I am" it's the simplest meditation I know. You just stay with "I am" and just feel the "I amness." Because the argument is anything after or in addition to "I am" could be illusion, could be bullshit. All you really know is "I am." You don't even know what you are. You just know that whatever you are, you are, and that's all you know for sure. As my philosophy professor in college said, Descartes' the, the argument—he used the evil demon. There could be an evil demon that is, you know, uh, distorting your reality. And my philosophy professor brought that into the twentieth twentieth century. Yeah, because I was in college in the twentieth century. Uh, by saying the, the evil brain scientist or you could be a brain in a jar and being stimulated with a probe or you know now we have the matrix as a metaphor. It's all, all that's entirely plausible. And then all that got brought added to, added to, added to, added to, all the way up to today where now you, there's such a thing as an alternative fact. This is the rise of uh, ethical subjectivism where reality is negotiable depending on the person. And it's a real problem. It's, it's, it's the philosophical foundation of people like Donald Trump calling CNN fake news. That was not possible 500 years ago. There wasn't, there wasn't propaganda then like there is today. People started to say like, huh. Because back then philosophers influenced politics. Like that's, there was a very tight tie there and um, philosophy was much more applied than it is today. People don't really apply philosophy anymore, which is part of the subjectivism. But you know, people were more actively looking for, well, how should I live? And according to what principles? And all of that's mostly gone in culture now. And so now we live in the realm of um, the... I mean, it's really quite stark to think about it. Individuality, the rights and power of the individual, in the United States especially, the only country in the history of the world to be founded on the rights of the individual is at an all-time high in the history of human evolution. It's quite an amazing thing. And so to me, the coining of the term alternative fact was like a marker in that where it's like, it's as important as I think therefore I am in some ways because it was the moment where it should have woken some people up and going, whoa, 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 whoa. Alternative fact, I think this individual rights thing has gone a little too far. But it's gone further than that. Now, the major news organizations can be called fake news. So, there, meditation, Descartes, money, all in one. And last point to make it practical it's my truth, and the way I live is that when you commit to living, amidst the principles of reality, it conspires to help you. Reality supports you when you abide by the principles of it. When you don't abide by the principles of it, it does not support you. So the bailout thing is a really great example. So the government, if it were representing and being true to reality, Would have said, well, these folks tried to make a bunch of money by faking reality. That was a term Ayn Rand coined. They tried to fake reality and take this bunch of assets that were not valuable and they sold them as if they were. It wasn't illegal. And the consequences is they lost public confidence and all this and that and that. Well, they deserve to fail, right? And that was the key moment where they were too big to fail. That was the made up, that's completely made up. What's too big? What do you mean it's too big to fail? According to who? Why? Is there a rule that something big can't fail? That's completely made up, right? So the government, if they were abiding with reality, would have said, well, you've earned failure, so you're going to get it now. But there's too many personal interests and people didn't want to see... They didn't want to face the unknown of what was going to happen. And what would have happened probably would have looked a lot like what happened in Ayn Rand's uh, Atlas Shrugged because that's exactly what happened in that book that she somehow predicted. Because she saw what happens when you take subjectivism to that extreme in, when she write that, 1940. And that's where it's going. So my prediction is that life appears to me to have some objective intrinsic truth to it. And human beings exercising their free will are pushing the boundaries of that on a daily basis, and are trying to make up and fake reality in ways that does not jive with life, and then the consequences are life kicks your ass. So when you look at catastrophes happening to people, happening to people, you know we often say, "Well, why do bad things happen to good people?" Usually, because they're faking reality in one way or another. Now, it may not be uh, apparent on the surface. You might have to do a little digging, but. Failures happen in people's lives often because it's a kind of correction, like what happens in the stock market, right? If someone's life departs from intrinsic principles of reality, a kind of bubble starts to get created and eventually that bubble will collapse. As it should. But of course, all of this is coming from an objective point of view. So I would be remiss to not name. I'm coming from a perspective of there is a reality it has objective principles, and it doesn't matter what you think about them, they exist a priori to your perception, opinion, or transmutation, attempted transmutations of them. That's an objectivistic point of view that most people would find extremely rigid because for the last three or 400 years, we've been in a subjectivistic era. But it's not difficult to see all the problems that subjectivism are creating. When a company creates a set of values, like Bob shared with us a few weeks ago, a very clear set of values and actually makes them alive and says, this is how it is here, they're enforcing a kind of objectivism. And that's what is so interesting to me because business is kind of like the last holdout of any kind of objectivism in, in, in any kind of real way in the world. Right? It's not in the government anymore. Like that's, that was probably that bailout was a big deal, Peter. I'm glad you brought that up because the bailout was another um, sort of uh, pin in history where you can go, oh, we're, we're out of reality here. You know, before that, you could say when Nixon took us off the gold standard, that was another one. There's been these steps of like, well, just like taking backward steps away from reality. And then things have gotten kind of crazier and crazier ever since. So when a business says these are the values here and says that to millennials who by and large feel like uh, you know, their lives are completely their own and they can do whatever they want whenever they want or think that's how it should be, you start ending up with some friction, which is why disengagement is so common today. Because you know, 50 years ago, the, the workforce was fine or a lot more fine going to work for you know, someone else and doing whatever they said and being grateful to have the job so they could do whatever they wanted in the other half of their waking hours. But for younger generations today, that's not enough. They want to be able to do whatever they want all the time. And at Essence, cool. That's creative. That's alive. That's, entrepreneurial, that's Inspired, that's terrific, but it's completely unrealistic. You know, when you're just out of college, for example, right? So the younger generations, I really feel, need to be educated by the older folks about the limits of their subjectivism. And, you know, right now, uh, it could be that our country is learning the hard way what happens when you really, really want someone to be president and really, really think they'll do a good job. (laughs) And uh, your subjective reality turns out not to be the case. And it could be, my prediction is, just like what happens in uh, Atlas Shrugged, is some subjectivistically driven event will have to happen, a total catastrophe like what happens in in, uh, Atlas Shrugged, that will wake people up out of it. And that may be happening where the subjectivism, the fake reality is so um, abject and so destructive that it just causes people to wake up, which is what would have happened, I think, in the economy if the bailouts had not happened, if we'd gone into a really dark um, depression and it was talked about and seen, hey, how we're relating to money doesn't work here. Could have been like the depression of 1920, 1919 to nineteen twenty. Yep. Which was non-event because the government didn't do anything. Yeah. It's a very very quick recovery. Yeah. It could have it, been that. It could have been, yeah. In in other words, I mean, I think anybody can resonate with this. We don't learn unless there are consequences. So this this subjectivism that continues to become more and more, people are faking reality in more and more creative ways every week. No end in sight yet. And social media has been a really interesting example. That's a vehicle for it where anyone can have, you know, you can state your opinion and three days later five million people saw it and believed it. You know, that that's like technologically possible now. Can you imagine, you know, what the Nazis would have done with technology like that? Yeah, they would have gone crazy for it. So now that, you know, anyone with an iPhone can communicate with, you know, half of the world practically. The subjectivism, that's all powered by subjectivism. And it's it's incredible in terms of what it affords individuals and climbing social ladders and economic ladders and whatnot. It's incredible, but it's also incredibly dangerous. And so at some point, if you follow and buy what I'm saying here, I think it's just a matter of time before reality imposes quite a correction on this. A uh, correction that would be so great that you know it can't be bailed out. So in the meantime, I see every moment of accountability. Anytime, even when you tell someone there's mustard on their chin, anytime you're you're helping someone to get back in reality, whether it's mustard on their chin or that they're not doing their job well, to me that is like a little hash mark on the objective side of the T chart. That's how important it is because it means what's true actually matters versus what's being made up or what you would like to believe. And it's not an exaggeration to me that the survival of the human race hangs in that balance. Look at climate change, right? There's a really great example. That's, that's a reality that is being denied. Now, unlike most people, I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that uh, human beings are responsible for climate change, because correlation is not causation. And I really wish that argument would be dropped because it's not necessary. The data shows the climate is changing. There's a finite amount of oil. Should we do something? Uh-huh. <laughs> Why not? Let's see if we can put a dent, you know, in carbon emissions. After all, oil's running out, it burns dirty, and you know maybe we can make a difference. If we can't, then at least when we run out of oil, there's still energy. So how hard is that argument, right? But anyone who denies that argument is in a false reality. They're fake. Denies which argument? Uh, denies, denies the argument to, to get off of oil. Oh, okay. So that, that, you know, despite the fact that 97 or whatever percent of scientists say that the climate is changing, I don't know if they actually say it's because of humans. Again, I don't see that as being relevant. It doesn't matter whether humans are causing it or not. The question is, can humans change it? it doesn't take a genius to see that like, oh, like really oil comes, how, how little oil does there need to be for us to start really taking alternative energy seriously? It's just it's just not critical thinking. It's just bad planning, you know? And that critical thinking has gone out the window. I don't know, because I guess people are afraid of change. Well, it'll be forced when the price, the price of... Um... Using oil is more expensive than the price of using the next less, less expensive thing there you go that may be the kind of consequences that has to happen you know probably yeah well it, it probably won't be solar it'll probably be nuclear probably. I, used to be, I used to be I used to be a real um enemy of of nuclear and i've I've changed uh recently to be a real uh, advocate of, of nuclear, but just I've seen some things that I didn't know before mm-hmm. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.